Welcome to a special presentation of Behind the Page, where we at Marvel vs. Marvel revisit the comic book histories of some of your favourite Marvel characters. If you're joining us for the first time, each and every episode of MVM is packed with this kind of history and trivia as we explore the Marvel movies and the comic books that inspired them. Take a trip now behind the page, and um, let's get into it, Will. Let's get into this incredibly popular character um, that has that has really dominated our, our, our three episodes here. The lineage to get to this Venom episode, uh, to get to the character, comes from Marvel's first ever crossover superhero event, The Secret Wars. Mm. Which we've covered in our bonus episode. It goes through the alien costume saga in the Amazing Spider-Man, which we've covered in in the Spider-Man three episode. To briefly recap, as part of a new partnership with Mattel Toys, Marvel needed to grab a lot of attention during the Secret Wars, so they decided to completely change Spider-Man's costume. <laughs> Yeah. The design from the early 60s replaced by an all-black suit with a giant white spider on the front. Minimalist, eye-catching, immediately iconic. Uh, but as we, as we discovered in our Spider-Man 3 episode, Marvel Comics didn't come up with that idea or that design. Originally, that's created by a, a, a Marvel comic book reader, a fan... Um, who submitted the idea to an open submission competition. A young man called Randy Schuller from Illinois created this all-black costume and a series of new abilities to give Spidey a power upgrade. (laughs) Marvel bought the idea and the design from uh, Randy Schuller for $220. What a bargain. What what what's the box office take on this movie? Eight hundred eight hundred fifty six point one million for an investment of two hundred and twenty dollars. Not bad. That's how you get <laughs> Not played. Bad. That's how you get played. In, in Randy's original concept, things were a bit different. The, the costume wasn't black and white; it was jet black, but the giant spider was actually red. Mm. Um, and it wasn't. It was something that was created for Spider-Man by the Fantastic Four. Ah, yes. Uh, by Reed Richards, we talked about that. R- Randy Schuller spoke to the comic book press um, a few years late, a few years ago, not many, many years after it all happened. And 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 he said uh, around the time of Spider-Man, it was after Spider-Man three and all that. He was disappointed to never be acknowledged by Marvel. When Spider-Man Three came out, yeah, um, he he wasn't, you know, he said he wasn't after money, but he wanted a credit like other comic book cre- creators receive in the credits of a movie. You know, Spider-Man created by <clears throat> is is what what appears. I mean, Randy's being a little naive there <laughs> to give him that credit 
would entitle him to some type of ownership and royalty share, which is never going to happen. Um, yeah, that's what happens, I'm afraid, you know. Yeah, you work for hire. That's why you need um, lawyers. You need to lawyer up when you when you do things with anything. But what appeared in Secret Wars, as you'll, you'll be able to know from our bonus episode, was very different to what Randy came up with in his idea. The costume design itself was altered by superstar artist Mike Zeck and um, writer-slash-editor Jim Shooter, the man who brought the idea from Randy, completely changed the the concept from that Fantastic Four idea. Hmm. Now, Peter Parker gained the new costume on a bizarre alien world during the middle of a cosmic battle. It's a costume that responds to his thoughts, um, produces webbing out of nowhere, and, and when Pete returns to Earth after Secret Wars, he, he brought the new costume with him back to Earth. Unbeknownst to Pete, the black costume is alive. It would move around of its own free will when Pete wasn't looking. When he slept, the costume would sort of <laughs> suck Peter inside and then jump out the window and take him web splitting around the city, leaping and jumping <laughs> and fighting criminals. As soon as Pete discovers the new costume is actually an alien parasite feeding from him, he had Reed Richards and the Fantastic Four imprison the, the parasite using sonic weapons. Mm. Um, but the alien symbiote wasn't finished with Pete. It escaped captivity, forced itself uh, onto Pete's body again, and would not let go. Pete was trapped inside the costume, knowing it's only a matter of time before this parasite fully bonds with him, which is a very dangerous situation. Um, so Spidey uses the sonic waves mm. of um, loud sonic waves of church bells to hurt the symbiote and seemingly kill it. Even after killing the the symbiote, Spider Man wasn't done wearing the 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 old black and white. The costume uh, had proven to be this iconic fan favorite, um, as well as being a way for Marvel to sell. A ton of new Spider-Man merchandise. Will hmm. y- y- you got a Spider-Man action figure? Well, that's the old costume, kid. Better go and harass mum and dad to get you the new action figure. Um, you got the the Spidey design on a baseball cap, poster, jacket. That's the old red and blue. You got to get with the eighties. <laughs> you know, it's yuppie. It's the it's the fast paced yuppie time. It's cell phones and it's. You know, black and white Spider-Man. You've got to go and get that new design on something. So, instead of um, reverting to the old costume, Peter Parker spends most of the 80s wearing a black and white costume, but one made of regular, Mm. you know, earth material and cloth, not another living creature stretched over his skin (laughs) in a creepy way. It's now time to introduce you... And the Marvel versus Marvel journey to one of the most important figures in modern comic book history, Todd McFarlane. Oh, yes. Todd McFarlane would become one of a handful of artists to completely change the comic book and the superhero industry in the 1990s with Image Comics. Uh, and, 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 and 
McFarlane were going on to have the most successful creator-owned comic book in history. And and he'd parlay his superhero work into a series of, of very successful toy and media companies that would amass him one of the biggest fortunes in the comic book industry. So they reckon it's around $300 million this guy's sitting on. Um, uh, McFarlane gained a lot of attention drawing Batman and, and the Incredible Hulk in the 1980s. But he would really start to gain stardom as the artist on the amazing Spider-Man, Spider-Man's flagship comic book at Marvel. McFarlane became the first artist since John Romita in, in the 70s to redefine the art style of Spider-Man. So yes, Spidey gets a costume change before McFarlane comes on board, but the art style the way the character is drawn is still echoing what Ramita did in the 70s. And that was the first change since Ditko in the 60s. And and the next guy in line is, is, is McFarlane. Um, I'm going to just send you some now, Will, so you can take a look at what we're Let's talking about. Look. Um, it, it, it's... You know, it's so iconic, I don't know if it will seem different to you, because it is, and it's influenced so much since then, um, that this might be what people think of. McFarlane, he, 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 he retains some of these 60s sensibilities of Steve Ditko mm. in, in thin, <clears throat> thin kind of lithe Spider-Man, but he gave it a dynamic macho spin. McFarlane's Spider-Man is is a hyper athletic contortionist. <laughs> Look at the way he is perched and, and crouched. Can you see that there? Yeah, 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 yeah. He's 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 uh he's showing off his some arms. Guns. So like his but but like his arms are down by his feet and he's crouched in this I don't know how to describe it. Like a, almost like a monkey position, yeah. right? If a monkey's perched on a tree branch. Um he crouches inside webs. McFarlane loved to draw Spider-Man hanging upside down, even in like domestic situations. A lot of where you know that iconic kiss that Pete and MJ have in the first Spider-Man film. Hmm. You know that that whole Spider-Man hanging upside down is like a a McFarlane trope. He he loves that position um, because it's just completely unique and different way of positioning the character when you're presenting him. Yeah. No other superhero will do that ever. Ever. No, oh, no. And in a, in a crowded marketplace, that's an incredible way. It's an interesting and visually dynamic way of doing it as well. McFarlane's Spider-Man it doesn't just swing like Tarzan on a rope. He hurls himself through the air. He twists his body. He corkscrews in midair like an acrobat. Mm. Think of that uh, of all the modern Spider-Man video games, yeah, in which you don't, you know, in the old side scroller, what would you do? You hold onto like a rope and you swing side to side, yeah, right? It, it, it's in a pretty straight simple, line. yeah. As soon as like the PlayStation Two came along, and they were able to kind of have bigger worlds, and you know, you had this character that leapt off a building and like soars through the air and spins and twists and that's that's all how McFarlane drew. You'd have this incredible double page spread of Spider Man kind of horizontal in midair as he kind of like is just twisting around to the next web to grab. 
McFarlane, you take a look at the webs in, in that in that piece. He he mm. transformed Spidey's webs from a, a series of lines that nobody paid attention to into like a hyper detailed, intricate design of a web that 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 takes up negative space on the page but makes it gorgeous to look at. Oh yeah, it's nicknamed the spaghetti web because of you know how it's all this different strands clumped together. Um, and and McFarlane's Spider Man was a real sensation. Not surprised. Um, it, it it set the comic book world on fire, gained popularity. When Marvel created a brand new Spider Man title just for Todd McFarlane, they created what was called you know Spider Man's main title is called the Amazing Spider Man. McFarlane is so popular and gaining so much kind of. Uh, influence that Marvel to appease him and keep him on board they go right we're going to launch a brand new comic book called just Spider-Man Todd write it draw it do whatever you want with the comic pretty much you know with the reason the first issue of Spider-Man sold over 2.5 million copies that's not just double the readership that Amazing Spider-Man had that's quadruple the readership wow. that Spider-Man had at the time, you know, and 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 that kind of popularity gets you amazing influence. Oh, totally. Um, and one of the things McFarlane wanted to do on Spider-Man was ditch the black and white costume. Todd McFarlane hated the black and white; couldn't stand Did it. Did he see it as a marketing gimmick? He doesn't. He's never said why. Oh. Um, is this some kind of closely guarded secret or just a really shallow opinion it's hard to tell <laughs> here's what here's what he's gone on record as saying right when talking about the creation of Venom Tom McVarland said I didn't want to draw this black costume it meant nothing to me mm. I wanted to draw the original red and blue so they said Todd if you come on at issue 298 we promised that maybe we can get rid of it. And I go, well, okay, but let's just get rid of it fast. <laughs> I do issue 298, he's still in the black. Issue 299, still in the black. Issue 300, I want to do the red and blue, but no. Issue 300, he's still in the black. So finally, I did a character. I ripped the old black and white costume off Spider-Man. I did this character called Venom. I handed it to David Michelin, the writer, and said, here you go. To me, the origin of Venom is, how the hell do we get this goddamn black costume off Peter Parker? <laughs> and he literally I mean, did got it off of him, yeah. Literally. That's, dis- that's dismissive, man. That is dismissive. That's not what you want to hear from a superstar fan-favorite artist about the creation of a fan favorite character, it's like you want to like, hear. I was about to say it's like when they talk to David Chase about the Sopranos ending, and he's just like he just doesn't. He just pretty much tells people to shut up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he just doesn't. He has no connection or attachment to the character. Yeah, it's like I, I wanted to do something. You know, I, I wanted to do that <laughs> exactly. So, so four years after, after Spider-Man thought the alien symbiote was destroyed, he starts getting stalked by someone mm. and attacked by someone who doesn't set off his spider sense. Um, worst of all, it's not Spider-Man getting attacked, it's Peter Parker. 
Ah. Right. So, so that's 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 deeply concerning. Um, one time he's waiting for a subway, um, and an unseen figure shoves Peter Parker in front of the train. Ooh. Doesn't set off his spider sense. Another time he's climbing out of a window at night to then change into the costume and go be Spider-Man, and an arm reaches from the darkness, grabs him, and, and, and throws him around. And Pete is completely, you know, completely freaked out by who this could be. This this build-up had been done without Marvel actually having the final piece of the story in place. <laughs> so they spend, like, three or four issues on the mysterious stranger who can attack, who knows his identity... And doesn't trigger his spider sense and is stalking him. But they don't know who that's going to be. <laughs> they haven't finalised it. They're approaching this milestone, issue 300 of Amazing Spider-Man. That's a big number. Mm. They need a big villain uh, to make the issue special. They want a new villain. And that's what the stalker is going to be. That's what they're driving to. Um, according to writer David Michelin, he suggested a villain consisting of the alien symbiote grafted onto the body of a woman a woman seeking revenge for the death of her husband and her miscarried baby who would have accidentally died as like the unseen unfortunate event of spider-man battling a supervillain somewhere in new york like it's just a you know casualty of war kind of deal Mm. um but that did not go over well with the Marvel editors and bosses. They thought it was, you know, um, culturally insensitive and and would would have a lot of like a moral backlash. Okay. So, uh, the editors said to to Michelin, "You can do most of the story, but you've got to change like who the who the who the guy is. We can't do that woman and that you know unborn child and all that kind of stuff." So. Michelin then devised the Eddie Brock identity. Um, Michelin and McFarlane dispute who created Venom. Okay. Like, massive, massively. Uh, Michelin claims that he had already sold the stories and the concepts to Marvel before McFarlane even came on board with Amazing Spider-Man. Like, the whole thing. The name Venom, it was going to be the symbiote. He'd done it all before McFarlane came on board. That jars massively with what McFarlane says, uh, which is that I just wanted to get rid of the black costume, so I took it and I put it on someone else, <laughs> and I called him Venom. This feels very much like the old disputes between Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, yeah. right? We had all these discussions about who created what back in the in the 60s. Yeah, that's exactly what it feels like. And these debates roll around quite a lot when it comes to creation of characters um <laughs> uh michelin even wrote a letter to a comic book industry magazine called wizard and publicly in the letter column disputed because wizard wrote an article and called mcfarlane the co-creator of venom hmm. and michelin wrote this letter and was like i don't know who you're talking about because there's only one creator of venom and it's me Ooh, slamming down and he was like Oh, he was like McFarlane simply redesigned, like took a black cost. He didn't invent the costume. He didn't invent the symbiote. He didn't invent this. He didn't invent that. 
what did he do? He put a costume on a new person, and I created the new person. Anyway, whatever the true behind-the-scenes events that led to the creation of Venom, Venom was a hit, you know, right, not quite right from the get-go, but he was a hit. In the 90s, he went from being one of Spider-Man's popular villains to being the insanely popular star of his own comic book series. Um, in in 94, he gets his most high-profile appearance as the symbiote saga is adapted to the Spider-Man cartoon series, which we, last time we talked about it, we discussed it was the number one children's program in America for like two years. Ooh. It's a hugely, hugely popular series. It, it, it's meant to be just a two-episode story, but Venom is so popular, it becomes a three-episode story. It's the highlight of the first season of that cartoon. Eddie finds this whole new audience and, and is released as, as part of the mega-successful toy line attached to um, to the cartoon series. And, and from that point on, Will, every Spider-Man project includes Venom in the conversation. Really? Every single cartoon series they did, Venom will be there because he's the, one of the top villains, top characters. Every single video game, Venom is there as one of the bosses or someone you can play as. You know, every toy line, Venom is involved and included. Well, that's, the only um, reason I know about Venom is because of the video games. That's the thing. I, I, I know stuff like this because of the video games. Yeah. Uh, he, he, he just... There aren't many outside of the classic crop in Spider-Man that have been able to become this like if you think of Spider-Man's top villains right it's a group of characters created by Stan and Steve in the early 60s mm. and then it's Venom in the 1980s and that's that um, um, and Kingpin I guess Kingpin in the 70s uh, because of the um because of the cartoon series and all of that, Kingpin is considered. But you, you go from like this group of like twelve iconic sixties villains, Kingpin in the seventies, Venom in the eighties, that's it. <laughs> no one else is getting into the, the VIP club. Thanks for joining us as we revisit some of our favourite moments from Marvel vs. Marvel. Don't forget, our full-length episodes are jam-packed with hours of Marvel trivia, behind-the-page, behind-the-scenes, and comic book Marvel history.